I, I love music for so many reasons. It resonates with me, but I love music because we're singing scripture. We're singing truth like that. Like all we got to do is say amen and go home. Like that, that was rich. Like that, that was God's word sung together, proclaimed uh, to each other. I love that. With Jesus, we have everything. Without him, we have nothing. I'd like to address a very common misconception about the Word of God, and I'd love for you right now just to find a copy of God's Word. If you don't bring one, I, I encourage you to bring one. If you don't have one, I encourage you to find me. I'll get you one, because uh, this is so important. We, all the good stuff in life we can find right here, and uh, so I want you to grab that and be turning to Mark chapter 5, or beginning in verse 1 today, but common misconception about God's Word that I hope we're holding in our hand, uh, and here it is. It's boring. It's boring. Well, the enemy has so many lies about God's Word. The first thing he would like you to believe is that it's just not true. That's the first thing. And so if you believe God's true, he goes on and says, he gives a lie that says it's boring or, or it's not interesting. And then, then he may on, go on and give you another lie to say it's not accessible. It's not understandable to you. I mean, you've got to go through, get a seminary degree or, or you've got to go through all these years of study. And uh, you know what? The, the enemy would like for you today to, to, know, to think that it's, it's just going to be boring today. It's going to be not accessible to me. And he would love you to believe that it's not applicable to your life, that it's not relevant. I want to tell you today that there's some truths that we stand on as we open up God's Word. It is this. This is true. This is so fascinating and interesting. If you would just... Get past the lie of the enemy and open your ears to the Spirit of God. He, every time we open God's Word, the Spirit of God helps us understand it, helps it come to life in our midst. What an incredible thing we get to do. And also, this is accessible because of the Holy Spirit literally in the room with us. And if you are in Christ, within you will help you today as we open up God's Word to, to understand it. And then the truth is, it is so relevant. It is so needed. It is so applicable to our lives. Have you ever used the term tormented of yourself in life? Have you ever felt tormented? The, the word tormented is an interesting one. It comes from the Latin root, uh, torquere. I think that's Spanish. But Latin comes, French comes from Latin, right? So I love Spanish. But but not so much Latin, but that's the word, tor torquere. Where do we get the word, where, what word sounds like that? Torque, right? That's just a transliteration of a Latin word, torquere. And what is torque? It's twisting. It's the force of twisting, all right? And so the idea of, of torque is to twist. And so as I use that word torment, the root is tor. Care, it was translated eventually into Old French, torment. And in Latin, it was tormentum, an instrument of twisting or torture. Like if you twist enough, like that was an instrument of torture, right? And so we get just word torment from that word to twist. And so the definition of torment in the dictionary is severe physical or mental suffering. Have you ever felt like that was you? That you are under torment physically, mentally, spiritually. I feel like for me, like I come today, and I come every Sunday, by the way, and I come every day. 
with some torment in my life, like something in your life, there's got to be something that's not in line straight. And so if it's not in line straight, it is twisted. And the enemy loves to twist. He loves to, to torment those. And so, so I, want, I want us to readily recognize that today we are approaching God's word, which is true, it's interesting, it's accessible, and it's applicable right now. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. They, and who is they? This is Jesus and the disciples. Remember, they were in the boat. Jesus was teaching from the boat to the multitudes, because there were so many who were, who were seeking him and leaning in, like, who is this man that teaches and does all these things that no one else has ever done? And so he began to teach from the boat. And then he said, hey, let's go to the other side. Remember, he was on the, the, the Galilee side, right? The, the, the Jewish side, and he says, hey, let's go to the other side. So, so not the Mediterranean side of the Jordan and the Sea of Galilee, but the, the other side, right? And so let's go that way, and then what happens on their journey? Jesus goes to sleep, and there's a storm. And that was our message last week, that Jesus calms the storm. And you got to go back and hear last week's message. It's so good. God's word is, is so good. And so they make this trip, and we pick up in verse 1. They went across the lake to the regions of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, this is like a movie, right? Looks like the exorcist going on within the scripture. And may I just say, not only this is a fascinating story, uh, it's, it's so interesting, but may I just say that all scripture is interesting if we just allow God to teach us and illuminate his word to us. So all, not only this, like this is an incredible story. Like, I'm like, I'm already kind of leaning in. Like, God, I, can't, I, can't wait, I can't wait to see what's, what, what's going to happen in the story. And so verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So it's so interesting, this man who had the impure spirit, who was tormented, tortured by the impure spirit, says back, in God's name, don't torture me. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Legion is about 6,000. Uh, the legion of, of soldiers would be 6,000 in the Roman Empire, 6,000 soldiers. That's a lot. So my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. It doesn't necessarily mean there were 6,000 demons within this man, but it could very well mean that there were 6,000 demons within this man. Just many, many. And he begged Jesus again and again to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, that's a lot of pigs, y'all, 2,000 pigs, not just a few, 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the towns and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. 
And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. Can you just see the picture, y'all? This is the one who tormented them in their city so much they had to get rid of him, put him out there because they couldn't control the guy. And all of a sudden, this guy is leave it to beaver, sitting in front of him and got it all together. And what was their response? They were afraid. They were afraid. Man, I would have been too. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Interesting response to the situation. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed began to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, through ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were, that's the word, amazed. Over and over again, in Jesus' teaching, in Jesus' acting, Jesus' actions, people were astonished. They were amazed. This is a wild story, isn't it? I mean, it's so wild. Here this man is, so many bizarre elements, a demon-possessed man, which that might, like, I can't still wrap my mind around what exactly that looked like. I and mean, we have some movies, right, that we can somewhat imagine. But like, that, that really happened. And then he's screaming at nighttime, probably howling at the moon at nighttime, living in the tombs because he was too violent to live around other people. He was too crazy. He has superhuman strength. I can't imagine that, but he has superhuman strength. Then you have Jesus casting out these legions of demons to 2,000 pigs. I guess that's three per pig. I do the math, right? And then they run headlong into the sea, and they drowned. And then you've got this picture of a man who was out of his mind, sitting there in front of the people who knew him, and he was perfectly sane, sitting in front of them. And then he becomes a preacher. Of all things, he becomes a preacher. You see, this story, it's just incredible to me. And you may say today, like, that's a, that's a crazy, crazy story. And it happened so long ago and so far away. And not even sure if this really happened. It has nothing to do with my life. Well, may I tell you today, I want to show you how this has such profound significance for our lives today. Because this story shows that Jesus' power can break into the most difficult and dark parts of our lives. Jesus' power can break into the most difficult and dark parts of our lives, and it can transform us. On the one side of the sea, you have Galilee, right? The Sea of Galilee, Galilee, and all that side, Capernaum, where Jesus' base of ministry was. All the Jewish side, and, and they're following the, the rules of the law. And we've discussed this quite at length, and so I won't go into it. But there's this idea that there's the law, the original law, and then all these rabbis have added to the law. And they've got all of these laws upon laws upon laws. And so these, all these ideas of what was clean and what was unclean. And so you have, you have where Jesus was which was following this idea of law and clean. And then Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. And, and what was on the other side? That was where the Gentiles were. And what's true of all Gentiles? They are unclean. And what's true of pigs? They are unclean. 
And what's true of these spirits that we're talking about, right? They are unclean. As a matter of fact, according to the law of the day, the Jewish law of the day, even Jesus making that journey over to the Gerasenes, the moment he stepped foot on land from the Sea of Galilee, he had broken the law. He was unclean. Even the being on the land itself, you were unclean. And so Jesus breaks Jewish law in order to teach us and them the spirit of the law. And what is the spirit of the law of God that Jesus came to teach? Is that there, was, there is no one so unclean, there is no one so far from God that they cannot be restored. This is such good news for me. There is no one so unclean, so far away, so dark, so sinful, that Jesus cannot restore and cannot redeem. Just imagine that, that from one end of the Sea of Galilee to the other was about eight miles from the, the longest distance from, from east to west. So an eight-mile journey. And so Jesus makes this journey with his disciples, but directed by Jesus. He makes this journey to meet this demon-possessed man, this tormented man. But Jesus had gone further than that, hadn't he? He'd come from Capernaum to the Sea of Galilee, which is miles, right? But Jesus had gone further than that, right? From Bethlehem, his hometown, to Capernaum. But Jesus had gone even further than that, right? Where did he come from? Jesus came from heaven. He left his perfect place in heaven, and he came to earth so that this man might, this unclean Gentile in our story, that he might make him clean and restore him completely. Yeah. And so the truth for today is he's come to us too. And that's what I want to talk about. There's an elephant in the room that, that I talked about several months ago when we, we talked about demon possession the first time. Because this is the second casting out of a demon that Jesus has done in the book of Mark. And we talked about it, but may I just say, answer the question, is demon possession real? Yes. Yes, demon possession is real. Evil spirits, demons, do possess people. So that begs the question, can Christians be possessed? What do we say? The answer is no. No. Because light and darkness can never coexist. If we have Jesus in our life and the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, that is light. And light and darkness can't, by definition, exist together. And so if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot be possessed. So this man was certainly not a follower of Jesus. He had never heard of Jesus, right? He's a Gentile. And Jesus is just starting his ministry at this point. He was possessed. Why? He had, no, he had no Jesus. He has no faith. He has no access point for that. But it is true that we can be oppressed by demons. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you have been, but I've been in some pretty dark places in my life. And I won't tell you the stories, but I could feel very tangibly like there is a real oppression a spirit of darkness and oppression around me, not inside of me working, but around me working in and around me. And for the Christian, there are two extremes we must be avoided with reference to what we're talking about, satanic activity. Because even right now, there is a fight, as Paul describes it. There is a, spot, a fight between the forces of light and the forces of of darkness, between principalities and powers, not of this world. So even right now, this is so hard for me to understand, but it's so true because it says so in Scripture. Even right now, like there are forces of light, angels, 
and forces of darkness, demons fighting a war around us. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I just know it's true. It's true. Even right now, the enemy is working to, to help us to, to disconnect from what God wants to teach us. You see, that's a battle. There's a battle going on right now. C.S. Lewis said it this way, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors, they being the devils, the demons, are pleased by both errors. And hell, he says this, two things, a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So a materialist being one that doesn't believe in the spiritual, and, and the magician, the one that just so gets into this idea of darkness and demons that, that it, it overwhelms them. We must be careful. And we might be tempted, even as we read God's Word today, to think that the demons and the enemies' power on earth are the main point in this story. But let's be very clear. Jesus is the main character in this story. Jesus is the hero in the story. And the main point, again, by the way, because we're hearing this over and over and over, the main point of the story is that Jesus has authority. Exousia, one that only could be from a creator God, that, that he is doing something that no one has ever done before that has walked on the face of the earth. The main point, the world, the main point is he has power over every sickness and every malady, even those conjured by the, de- by the devil himself. And as I read this story, I, I thought this week, like, how, you ever ask this question, how did the demons know Jesus' name? Because that's what happens here. They, they, use, they use his name there in verse 7. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Jesus didn't tell them that. They automatically knew that. Well, well, two things. One, <laughs> that they used to live together in eternity past. Well, where did the demons come from? They came from heaven. There was a point where they worshipped Jesus. Jesus, creator, God. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit created created these beings, the angels, and so these angels in heaven worshipped Jesus, and then they decided to follow who? Lucifer, and they were cast out of heaven. So when they saw Jesus, they very well knew who they were looking at. That's the first thing. They knew he was their creator, the one that they had rebelled against, because they had worshipped Christ before as holy angels. But the second is they, they can see, because they are spiritual beings, they can see the spiritual world. And so when they saw Jesus, they saw light, and they saw who he was. And that's so hard for us to understand. Like we have to work so much harder to, through the lens of God's word, through the lens of each other, encouraging each other toward good and right things. They saw something that we have to work so much harder for. They saw this truth when they saw Jesus, that Jesus is God saw it in your own life. I want to give you two things today. I just think are really important for us to, to nail down out of the story this, that happened 2,000 years ago. And the first is this. Is it's really kind of his move 
and then our move. That, that's the two things. What, what does Jesus do? And then what, what do we do in response to what we're reading today? The first is this. Jesus moves to restore, which is his mission. Jesus was walking on the earth because he moves to restore. He, he came to give us life again. Because we chose darkness. He came to bring life and light to us. Very clearly, the heart of Jesus for mankind is on display here. You know, it's a tough day for the pigs, wasn't it? (laughs) But it was a life-transforming day for that man. I want to say this with as much compassion as I can. Nothing against animal rights movements of today and organizations. I love pets. I love animals. I love my schnoodle teddy. I love to fish. I like fish. I just went fishing on Friday on Lake Livingston, and I caught some fish, and I filleted them, and we ate them last night. Listen, I love fish. I really do. They're God's gift to us. But God's heart is first and foremost for us. Did you get that? We are the culmination of his creation. And Jesus was walking on earth, not for my pet schnoodle, although Teddy's awesome. He's great. He was walking on earth and living a perfect life. And he was going to die a perfect death for my sin. He was going to rise on that third day. He sure did indeed. Why? Because he loves people. His heart is first and foremost turned toward us, for you and for me and for mankind. I want to give you a statement, and I want to be very honest and upfront. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. Very clear on that, all right? There is nothing more valuable on earth than the value of human life. That's a biblical statement. Jesus is modeling that he's teaching us that here's this man is who was so far gone, six thousand demons. I can't even imagine what that's like. I mean, I've been tormented by some evil stuff in my life. This guy, so far gone, enter Jesus. And here's the truth: he is still on mission today. He restored that man, and he still loves to restore. And so if you're here today, and there's areas in your life that need rescuing, that need healing, that need restoring, he remains on mission. He loves to restore. Have you ever received something that you didn't even know you needed? What comes to mind? So just on Friday, I was out on I was out on the lake, Lake Livingston, with my oldest son, Josiah, and we were white bass fishing, catching some white bass. Not as many as we wanted, but we caught some. But I, I got this thing on my boat that I had never really thought that I needed, but I got this trolling motor, okay? Trolling motor is a thing you put front and back of the boat, and it's usually battery-powered, and you press a thing, and it makes it go. It's great. I love it. But this particular trolling motor is called a Minkota Ultera. Some of you guys are fishermen. You'll know what that is. But here... I didn't even know I needed it, but when I, when I got on the water and, and I grabbed a remote and I pressed a button on this remote and that trolling motor began to deploy itself into the water, 
And I fished some, and I pressed the button. It began to stow itself without me even leaving my seat. Listen, I never knew I needed that, but I needed it. Like this, I've got a bad back, and I've got other maladies, and I'm not my sob story, but listen, I needed that. I never thought I needed that. I've been bending down, pulling that little lever to, to deploy that trolling motor for all of my life. My dad used to make me do it when I was a kid. I never knew that this, there was this thing that you could just press a button, and, and it would go down, and it would come back up. You can control it. I can launch my boat with that remote. I can put it out, and I can bring the boat to me. It's crazy what technology has done. Have you ever received something that you didn't even know you needed? As you get older, there's some things that happen that people point out. And then you have to get things that you never knew when you were younger you were needed. Now, I'll give you one. There was a time in my life several years ago where people that loved me started pointing out things that were growing on my head that weren't previously growing, right? There, there's these nose hairs and things in your ear. And, hey, I'm not preaching on that today. You guys know who, if you've ever dealt with that. But I got a nose hair trimmer. I never knew I needed that. But, man, I needed it. Well, think about this. If you go back to our story in Mark chapter 5, there is no evidence that this demon-possessed man had been searching for Jesus. There's no evidence that he'd been praying for Jesus. As a matter of fact, he had, he had for sure probably never even heard about Jesus because Jesus is early on in his ministry here. He's in gen- Gentile country here. And Jesus had been working on the other side in the Jewish area. And so this man was not asking for Jesus, but Jesus initiated this process. Jesus came from heaven to earth, and Jesus, in the midst of his ministry, said, hey, let's go to the other side. And who was on the other side? Well, the demon-possessed man. As a matter of fact, as we move on, and we will pick up where we stop reading next week, he goes back over to the other side. And so why did Jesus go over to the Gentile side? He came to this man. Jesus knew that his power was the only thing that could change this man's life, even if the man didn't know it himself. And here's the powerful truth. Jesus also today knows what you need, even if you don't know it. That's how good he is. There's a theme throughout the Bible. We find it uh, very clearly in Luke chapter 15 in the story of the good shepherd. That the good shepherd leaves the 99 for the one lost sheep. He sets out to look for the sheep. And he keeps on looking until he finds it. That's Luke 15 verse 4. And then after that... In verse 8, and as we follow that, Luke chapter 15, verse 8, there's a woman who has ten silver coins, and she lost one. And what happens? She goes after the one. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She searches carefully until she finds it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be holy and blameless requires something that we can't do. Something that only Jesus can do. It requires transformation. And if God chose us from the, from the beginning, the creation of the world that long ago, do you know today that he's not going to give up till he fulfills that mission? He is still on mission. See, this demon-possessed man didn't even know to ask for Jesus' help. He didn't even know until Jesus stepped out in front of him. He's like, oh, man, that's what I've been looking 
So Jesus moves to restore. That's his mission. The second thing, our part is to respond, which is our choice. This is our response. It starts with Jesus. He takes initiative to restore, but then there had to be a response. So Jesus arrived at that shore of the Gerasenes. That demon-possessed man saw him from a distance. What happened? He ran to him, not just walk. He ran to him, and then what happened? He laid prostrate in front of Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many, right? So Legion, that term for 6,000 soldiers. The man was possessed by 6,000 demons. And, and even though this man had his personality in, like completely parted in 6,000 directions, 6,000 demons, that he had enough wherewithal when he saw Jesus, he recognized him and says, man, that's, that's what I need. I need that. He could have responded by hiding deeper in the tombs. The demons could have swayed him to go further and ran from Jesus, but that's not what happened. Instead, there's this powerful picture of this man when he met Jesus and he prostrated himself before him. I love that. Listen, that's a posture we need to gain again. This man got it. That, that, that we, we need to, if we're going to experience what Jesus has to offer, to prostrate ourselves before him and say, Jesus, you're the only one. You're the only one I need. You're the only one that can do what I need. You see, Jesus does his part, but listen, our part is to respond, and, and that is our choice. About choice, Eleanor Roosevelt said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choice one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die, and the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. I can't choose for you. Only you can choose for you. I don't know if you know Luciano Pavarotti, one of the best voices of our time. Incredible. Like, ooh, man, I wish I had that voice. Golly. He says this, he says, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. Arrigo Polo, a professional tenor in my hometown of Medina, Italy, took me in as his pupil. I also enrolled in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father, replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them for life. You must choose one chair. Mm, that one haunts me. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one, he says. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. So here this man was, and he was tormented. But in his torments, he chose Jesus. He chose to bring his issues that were so substantial to Jesus. He chose to put his faith in Jesus. And then he chose to share that faith with those around him. You see, Jesus responds, and he's always faithful, but it does beg a response. What's going to be our choice? And then the opposite of that is you have the village people, right? And the farmers, and they chose the opposite. They chose to reject Jesus. They even chose to run him off. They begged him to leave. What they should have been doing is begging him to stay. 
Jesus, would you just stay? Keep being who you are. Keep doing what you do. Jesus is so gracious in this story. He restores this man possessed by demons, a bunch of demons. He, he, he's so gracious in that. Restores him completely, completely insane to complete sane. He gives him a mission to go and share this, this power that only Jesus has. And even the people's disobedience, all the villagers and the farmers, he leaves them a missionary. I love that. It says in verse 20, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the ten cities there in that area, what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. They were astonished. They were amazed. So the direction the Lord gave him was to go, this is the ironic thing and the grace thing. Where did, where did Jesus send this man? Back to the place that had run him off in the first place. Back to the people who knew him. Back to the people who were scared of him. Back to the people who shamed him, who hurt him, and were terrified of him. And, and we don't know exactly, but we do know in, in, within Scripture that he was the first missionary to the Gentiles outside of Jesus, right? He was sent out for them even before Paul. And some historians say that he laid the groundwork. He cultivated the ground for when Paul went out to all of the Gentiles to begin to plant churches. What a gracious God Jesus is. The implications and application of this passage are vast. And here's the first. I kind of put a bow on this today. If you have knowledge of Jesus today, but have never had a transforming encounter through faith in Jesus, I'd like to invite you to do that today. Listen, that is where life happens. You see, there's these demons who knew everything about Jesus. And then there's this man who knew very little, nothing, but when he saw Jesus, like, I believe. Because of that, he was healed. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, here's a way that you can respond. If you have questions about that, you've never done that, I'd love to talk to you about that. How do you do that? We always have these connection cards at the bottom. We've already pointed you to that. If you would indicate, put your name on the front and a way to contact you, whichever you prefer, it doesn't matter. And just put on the back, I'd like to talk to a pastor, or I'd like to, more information about finding hope in Jesus, either one of those. I would love to follow up. Listen, we can't read God's Word. We can't read this story without questioning ourselves. Like, hey, have I done what that man did? Have I put my faith in Jesus? Have I ever been, have I ever been made whole because I have put my faith in Jesus? The second thing is this. If you want to have life, if you want to have joy, if you want to have healing personally, in your life today, you have to do two things. The first is you have to surrender, and then you have to choose Jesus. Because the magic in the story happens not when we get it all together. It's when we get ourselves to Jesus, and that's it. We will never get it together. Listen, I'm a hot mess just like you are. I don't know a lot of you in the room. I know some of you. You're a hot mess just like me, right? We'll never get it together. We come to Jesus who does have it together, and he brings us together. He makes us whole. If you want to have a thriving marriage today, same thing, surrender. Stop relying on yourself and other things. Surrender all of the other ways and choose Jesus. If, if you want to have victory in that battle, whatever that is in your life, of struggle in your life, if you want to have victory in that, guess what? Surrender and choose Jesus. 
If you want to be a man of God today, and I strive for that. Listen, that's my dream. I want to, I want to be as faithful as I can possibly be, but I'm a sinner just like you. If I want to be a man of God, guess what? How do I do that? Surrender. Surrender. Stop relying on all the other things and choose Jesus. If you want to be a woman of God, guess what? Surrender. Choose Jesus. Anything else we put in there, choose Jesus. Listen, it's time for us to prostrate ourselves before Jesus. Even the church has bowed themselves before other things. And no other thing is worth it. No other thing will lead to power. No other thing will lead to restoration and life and hope. We have fallen under the idols. We have fallen and, and, and before people that, that, that we think will, will bring us to a better place. We have fallen before ideals and philosophies. We have fallen before man-made systems, leaning on them for what we might get fulfillment and restoration and healing from. Mystical idealism, vain pursuit, success, power. Man, I could go on and on. Material things. And I find it fascinating that the most tormented, crazy man in the story ended up being the wisest man in the story. He ran to Jesus, and he fell before him on his face, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that's all that he needed. For life, you must choose one chair. My prayer today is that I would choose Jesus alone. Jesus alone. For all of us who have a history of choosing other things for significance and salvation, choose different. As the band comes up, we're going to sing a song of response. Choose life. Choose healing. Choose restoration. Choose Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we have approached your word, we want to first thank you for coming to us. Thank you in your grace, in your love, in your mercy, in your forgiveness, in your power. You have made the faithful move to come to us. And because of that, today, as we trust you, Today is a moment of hope. There's an access of power. And there's a promise of restoration in you and your name. In what you've done for us. In what you offer toward us and to us today. And so Jesus, we first and foremost just say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for moving toward me. Thank you for moving toward us. Thank you, God, that when we trust you, you are always faithful. Even in our faithlessness, when we trust you, you are faithful to heal and restore and bring life and bring a light to the dark spaces in our lives. And so, Jesus, I, I do pray that our response would be to take that step of trust and faith in you in every arena of our lives. It's in your name we pray.